0: Hi, I'm Tim Sinova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck, a podcast about, well, that. On this episode, investing in self, personal and professional development and growth. Lauren and I have been conducting interviews on this topic with a number of fascinating people, and we'll be sprinkling them into the mix with our upcoming episodes over the next several weeks. To start off this mini-series of sorts... A few weeks ago, Lauren and I had the privilege to sit down with entrepreneur, consultant, multiple business owner, dancer, choreographer, law school graduate, and so much more awesomeness, Lisa Yancey. We covered a lot of ground in our conversation, including why self-care isn't selfish, discipline and mastery, approaching our life as the dash between two dates, what exactly were Lisa and Lauren doing in Mexico, and why choice hotels will likely never sponsor our podcast. So without further ado, Lisa, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Tim.
0: So let's just start out with, tell us about yourself in your professional journey.
1: When I think about, when someone asks me tell me about myself, I'm like, which parts of myself are we talking about? Self, let's see. I am the eldest of seven. I am the eldest of seven and a single child from the South, Atlanta, Georgia specifically. Lived now 20 years in New York. So I may be official New Yorker. Boston before that. I would say, if you want to say, like, what's the self of Lisa Yancey? I was a dancer and choreographer with a law degree and an entrepreneur who thinks about business. So I'm a creative. I live in creativity, both in work and practice and I guess body. Yeah.
0: What did a young Lisa want to be when she grew up?
1: So a young Lisa wanted to be a dancer. She wanted to be Paula Abdul and Janet Jackson combined, actually. And (laughs) she totally (laughs) was in front of the television doing all the videos because we could not afford to be going to dance class. (laughs) So dance class was television and learning the choreography there. I can't tell you how many times I tried to not fall from a chair, falling over. Thank you, Paula Abdul, for that, and Janet Jackson for that, and pleasure, Principal. But yeah, a young Lisa saw herself as a combination of Janet Jackson and Paula Abdul.
0: And that leads to a law degree, and New York, and what you're doing now. So what was that journey like?
1: I tell people all the time that what got me through law school was dance. And it was the discipline that comes from consuming lots of content and translating that in the body and the endurance of knowing what you can and cannot do and how to really strengthen your body that was transferable to strengthen your mind and absorbing a lot of content in law school. And so I actually went to law school because undergrad ended and I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. And I was like, wait, I'm supposed to know right now? I think I need more time. And sure, law school. That sounds like an interesting fallback plan. But I danced the whole time while I was in law school. I was in two dance companies. I auditioned for, law, for Lion King. I got a call back, <laughs> but it was in the middle of the second year. So I was like, ooh, do I leave law school or dance? It's kind of been my, my journey until I develop the art of dance, which is a creative practice in my practice. And my life now is I'm an entrepreneur. I have three businesses. One established that's been around for now 19 years as a consulting practice and launching two other enterprises, one dedicated to black women entrepreneurs. Another is really looking at the medicinal cannabis industry.
0: Lauren, you also have a law degree and imagine similar discipline from your days playing basketball.
1: It's
2: Lisa used the word discipline, and there are words you don't hear very much anymore, and discipline is one of them. Mm. And people have described me as being disciplined as a person. So that piqued my interest. I also went to law school because I didn't have anything else to do. So anyone who's listening, if you don't have anything else to do, (laughs) go to law school. school. Yeah, I mean, that was like a three-year break. (laughs) And almost 20 years later, I have friends who have known me for that long, who met me while I was in law school and did not know I was in law school because I was doing so many other things. So law school was really on the back burner of my life. Discipline and mastery are words that you don't hear very often anymore. And I spend a lot of time thinking about how do you master something using your discipline, like to sit down and learn. As adults, we don't do that very often, to do something over and over and over and over again until you get it perfect. And so often we're encouraged not to be perfect. Don't let perfect get in the way of good, you know, or whatever that saying is,
1: but. My dance teacher would have been like,
2: what? You better get it perfect. Yeah, you're gonna (laughs) gonna do this right. That's right. Yeah, no, so, and that's pretty old school. I don't hear that too often anymore.
0: You both are involved in multiple businesses and are also always, in your own way, further developing yourself. Lisa, you're one of the most hardcore as it relates to protecting your time and your growth. It's like work hard, play hard. And Lauren, every time I talk to you, you've read another article about something in an like, obscure thing. I'm curious. Let's start with Lisa. Lisa, how do you approach your personal and professional growth?
1: I think first I understand that they're not separate. I am, it's just the I and the I am. It's not the I personal and the I professional and the I, it's just I. I'm really grateful for understanding that when I show up in my full self, no matter what I'm doing, it's just me in that self. And so how I... Protected, I think one of the greatest lessons I learned was the ability to say no and understanding that I don't have to, I don't have to do anything, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. But that's a big deal. As a Black woman coming from the South, from my experience, I want to be clear about that kind of framing because I don't represent all black women, although I absolutely love and my work is dedicated (laughs) to black women. And I'm so grateful for the black women who have really been instrumental to my growth and my understanding of life. But we are all different. We are not one. But this notion of how we are groomed to show up and show up and show out show up and continue to like deliver and prove and deliver. And when I learned that I need to show up for myself and that self-care isn't selfish, and sometimes it's okay to be preserving of self. In fact, more times than not, in order to do anything, you need to preserve yourself. And I think that giving yourself permission to one, say no, and to prioritize you, was a big key moment to open up the doors in rethinking what's possible.
0: What does your self-care plan approach look like? Ooh,
1: My self-care certainly lives first in fitness. And that's probably because I was a dancer and choreographer. And I am one of those humans who can't imagine not taking care of myself physically and love it because it is an outlet and it's a part of who I am and my disposition. But another piece of my self-care is travel. I travel passionately. I work very hard, but I love to travel. I love to experience different spaces and places. And I'm grateful that I've created a practice where my work can happen in multiple places. And the team, the wonderful team that I've developed who work with me appreciates and understand that their work can happen in multiple places and we're not restricted to conventional standards or four walls and that yeah so that's one of the ways i travel for sure fitness and meditation i believe in manifestation and being intentional and speaking into existence And my mother would say about what you want
2: my answer is going to pale in comparison <laughs> if you're looking at me i'm looking, like looking at,
0: like I'm at you for our to, listeners i'm looking at yes, you now
2: looking at me <laughs> self-care So I was raised by a black man, surrounded by some badass black women who did not have men to rely on them. And so no has always been a complete sentence for me. Like, I didn't have to learn that. I didn't notice until I was in my 30s that that actually is a skill that people don't—it's not natural. And people have a very visceral reaction when you tell them no. Like, just no. Like, no explanation. No with a smile. No, with a high five. Nope. Like,
1: (laughs) it's awesome. Isn't it awesome?
2: And then walk away. People have a very strong reaction to that. So that's self care. That being said, I really do like saying yes to things. And that's my tragic flaw. Good ideas, I can say no to, but there are a lot of great ideas that I get seduced by. And so I say yes to a lot of stuff. I love learning. So if I hadn't sort of decided to go to law school, I would have gotten a PhD. My father talked me out of it. But now I have the sort of, I've actually been in one place for seven weeks for the first time in the last couple of years. And I, I'm taking two classes at, one at a community college, it's a film tech class, and the other in Afrofuturism, because why not, at UNM. And what joy. It's like I have a class every day of the week, and I just love it. I'm just learning. It gives you time to think. I've always loved to write and I haven't, and Tim you'll know this intimately. I have for the last four or five years had a really hard time finishing anything I start writing because I have to stretch that muscle. I haven't had to do it in a while. And so having the structure around writing exercises in a class where I can talk about it and think about it and have other perspectives and that sort of dialogue and interaction, um, I think it's going to be a really important part of professional growth, and it wouldn't have been possible if I had a job that required me to be there from nine to five every day at a desk so In terms of like sort of professional growth and thinking about how we structure our lives with strategy, so that you can, that growth doesn't just happen. You have to be really intentional about creating the life that you need to be able to do it. I know that's a lot of privilege for me to say that, but it doesn't just happen. And I do admire, I was telling Lisa earlier today that I admire that she works out when she travels. I've lost 20 pounds while I'm at home. Yay! I will put it back on. (laughs) While I'm traveling, that's my next life goal is now that I'm kind of sort of back in shape, I'll never be like I was because I played basketball up until I was almost 35. I played four nights a week. (laughs) That you're not getting back at almost 40. But the level of discipline it takes to be able to work out while you're traveling in different time zones where you don't have a routine, you might not know the equipment. That's my block. But you have to be intentional about it. And I think that's the part that I'm still learning and that I didn't know five years ago that I know now.
0: Yeah, Lisa, when I think about discipline, when I think about you, I think about discipline. And the same way that Lauren was speaking about, you are an incredibly busy, high-performing person who travels a lot and does all these different things. You still make time for people to help them. You still make time to exercise. Like You still make time for self-care. And you have three businesses. And how do you keep that up? Because I'm like, if I just could do it maybe two days in a row, then maybe I can start some kind of theme. You mentioned dance. As sort of maybe a grounding in it, but oftentimes over our life that sort of falls by the wayside.
2: But is that discipline, or going back to Lisa's last answer about the eye? Yeah, is it the eye?
0: If only Lisa were here to answer this <laughs> question.
2: Yeah, is where? Can somebody go get Lisa? Can we find her? Or is she? Let's ask Lisa if it's the
0: yeah. eye. Is the
1: eye the secret? Get her on the phone. <laughs> First of all, anyone who's listening, I love these two so much, so much. Oh, my God. I know you love them, too, because you've been listening to yeah, them. both of them. Both of <laughs> our <laughs> listeners. Both of our loyal listeners. Yeah. And now
2: you, now they love you, too. That's the beautiful thing about our listeners is that they are expansive hearts.
1: For good reason. It's interesting to hear it. I'm like, I was going to say, holy shit, can I say that?
0: Yeah, we're going to have to bleep it, but you can, yeah, you can say yeah.
1: um, You can say a lot of things
2: on this show. Uh, <laughs>
1: Um, to listen to Tim, to listen to you to describe it, it's different than hearing it. Like you do all these things. And, and I guess I don't know any black women who, who don't do a lot of things. Let me first say that I was actually in a meeting with Lauren a while ago. And we were in a meeting and they were talking about these multiple projects and people doing this and oh, you do that and that. And that, and I think I actually made the comment. i was like, I'm sorry, I just don't know any black women who don't do multiple things. So this is just part of the course. This is part of course, like for Wall Street, they call it diversification. For us, it's just part of diversifying the multiple passions and desires and things that we love and not feeling limited to fitting in anyone's box. Because quite frankly, we actually design many of culture and we design many boxes. And so we don't have to feel confined in them. You know, I think that I do it because some parts of me can't. I can't not, I love Lauren. And there's, again, I said, I love Lauren. And some of the specific things that I really appreciate and connect with Lauren around is the art of learning and the joy of learning, the problem solving and ideation to convert something into something new from an idea, the understanding that you don't have to be confined by what others think should be standard to not fall into standardized thinking and have that liberated i will say liberated over privilege freedom around that and so i don't know i mean sometimes i hear from folks like you're doing too much girl you need too much and then sometimes i don't get enough sleep i will say that there'll be plenty of times where i'm like you need more sleep or my doctor's like you need more sleep and so there's a cost to it do you know how to sleep i do okay i don't know how to sleep you don't No. Oh, I've gotten really in it. Were you always good at it? No, absolutely not. I had to set an intention. I had to set an intention getting (laughs) sleep. I had to set an intention of eating regularly throughout the day when in work mode. And so those things can be like, oh, yeah, I forgot to eat. Or, oh, four hours of sleep. You mean that's not norm? Or five hours of sleep, not norm?
2: Yeah, I'm happy if I get six. Mm. But it's usually not a straight six. It's a real messy six if I get there.
1: I've been doing great at setting seven. Really? Yeah. I mean, failing the past three days, but typically pretty great at setting seven.
2: Yeah. I also, as you were talking, I was thinking about work. And it's probably in the last six months that like, I realized there are people who don't think work is the purpose of life. And I don't mean work like work with the big W, the all caps work, angry work. But I actually, I don't know how to not do something that is progressive, in furtherance of change, or I guess I didn't, I didn't know it was an option. And it was funny. My, something happened the other day at home, and Cassidy was 12. My stepdaughter said something like, oh, I was just lazy. And I was like, hold on, where did that word come from? Lazy? <laughs> I didn't know that word was... I still could never imagine. I was like, we have to do some real reframing of yourself and who you're going to be. Like Laziness is actually not an option. I do wonder about... I don't wonder i know my father so i know where that came from but he started working he was five and i started working outside the home when i was 12. so i wonder now two things one i'm grateful for work ethic and having the ability to to work all the time to put different tasks on and to be able to constantly iterate and i worry about the long-term impact of being like my father as he's in his 70s he loves his job he's a principal his whole thing is like, I'm going to die behind my desk. He loves his job and he's still high performing, turnaround school. I think he got like the fifth or sixth sort of highest, most gains in Philadelphia last year. But is that healthy? That's my sort of back and forth in my head about work and how we work.
1: Healthy is, I feel like on the one hand, it's relative to the individual. And then I'm sure there are doctors like, actually, no. Nope. There are some basics that you need, but there's something about doing the things that give you joy, that gives you purpose and where you feel like my mother says this thing and I'll share it with your listeners. She's like, ultimately your life is the dash. And you're like, well, what do you mean? She's like, when you die, there's your birth date and then there's your end date, but everything else is your dash. And if you're doing dash work, like if you want, what's your dash? And that's particularly meaningful for me right now, given what happened with Kobe Bryant. For some reason, and I was telling Lauren earlier that it triggered me in a way of, I don't even know why, but I can imagine. What's my story? What will be my story? Because there's no question of there are two dates. (laughs) There's no avoidance of those two dates. Can't get around it. But what you can inform is your dash. And so to hear your father about your father doing work that may be part of his meaningful work, that will be that thing that people talk about, that changed lives, is a part of his dash. And that's what we have control
0: over. Yeah, that's really powerful. Death always comes up in our podcast episodes. Yeah, we really,
2: it's inescapable, isn't it?
0: Even outside of the grieving wall working episode. But I think it's related. I think being present in what you're doing and trying to find purpose, I think there's clarity in realizing that there is an end date. And I think that also certainly informs my work and just what I want to learn. The stack of books that I want to read is just growing. And every time I see people that I know read or reading books, every time I run into you two, it's like, I'm reading more articles and I have more books and there's more stuff I want to learn and then figure out how that connects to my life and my work. And so it keeps driving you forward. And then you also have to figure out, I can't just keep going like this because I'm going to burn myself out and I'm not going to have time to think and process.
1: Then you travel. And then you travel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> with all the books. With the book on with the
2: plane. With all the Yeah,
1: with all the books. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Backpack full of books. I love that, what your mom said. And I think it sort of speaks to the journey and being intentional around what we want that journey to be like and being intentional about work. We spend a lot of time doing it and we spend a lot of time doing the things. And if, as our colleague, Pallavia always says, if it doesn't bring you joy, then I mean, why are you doing it? Yeah. Just say no. And I get that there are other things that you might have to do because of that, but at least being intentional, like I'm doing this because of that, but yeah, tell me about what you two did in Mexico because it sounds really cool. That was such a what were you two doing in Mexico? I was I like, under the, as I said it with the headphones, that was really
2: intense. It's yeah, I think you should keep that in, but it I was know. very intense. I felt under the spotlight, I felt persecuted and prosecuted. <laughs>
0: That sounded, yeah. uh, Yeah,
2: Lauren, what were we doing in Mexico? (laughs) Oh, Tim, what happens in Mexico stays in Mexico. (laughs) No, most certainly things happen that we want to disseminate to the listeners of this podcast.
1: (laughs) Lisa, you want to go first? No, you go first. Okay. I'd love to hear your perspective about Mexico.
2: So I'll start with the, I mean, we did the things that I love to do most with smart women with smart black women in particular, we dreamed. Yeah, we did a lot of dreaming. So Lisa touched on sort of the Wheeze, which is an entrepreneurial group, cohort of women, black women building businesses across a whole bunch of sectors that are all so intertwined and yet so disparate. And we talked about a model for what it would look like if we were to sustain organizations like that at scale. And how do we feed each other? How do we feed and nourish each other? So that's the business stuff. The beginning of the business stuff. Beautiful house. Lisa has fantastic taste. I also am a bougie traveler, so you learn things that where people have you staying. And Lisa and I have the same sort of aesthetic. Awesome. You'll never catch me at a best. If I die in a Best Western, you know. A what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, who?
0: We're, <laughs> lo- I- We're losing sponsors <laughs> and right yeah, here. If I Lauren.
2: die in a Best Choice Hotels, nope, not sponsoring this <laughs> podcast. Like, <laughs> absolutely not. Anyway. So beautiful location. Um, Mexico's amazing. The food was great. I mean, all the things that you want that you need to be generative in a group, space, but time together. Clear agenda, clear expectations. I mean, it's Lisa. It was like Lisa in a nutshell.
0: That, right? that's,
1: yeah. <laughs> was interesting. So just to give some context, some business partners and I are starting a company called The Weeds Match, And the weeds match, and people are like, what? It's like the idea of we, because we are one of we, and our intention is to build an online and offline platform that supports black women entrepreneurs being able to net a million dollars minimum in their business enterprise and have year-over-year growth. And so our anchors have been scale, wealth, and wellness. And so we've integrated into the business model and are integrating into the business model this notion that we don't center the business, we center the woman. And we believe our theory of change is that when you center the person, her business will thrive, and when her business thrives, the community thrives. But it's really have always been about how do we build around the individuals and shift this notion of unicorns and this exceptionalism that let's just find the one business that hit the right moment and completely take from that moment and then trash it and get to the next thing we actually want to build and support support thriving black women entrepreneurs because we know that their ideas their products their services makes the world better and so we have had the opportunity over the past year in 2019 to work with is five projects and one of the projects it also includes The medicinal cannabis project that I mentioned earlier that we're talking as one of the core projects, but it's across industries, high performing industries, brilliant entrepreneurs, founders across the board from culture to AR, VR, construction, retail, medicinal cannabis and arts. And so we had been in conversation with these brilliant women closely, and as part of the exchange is, if you share with us your core needs, because your core needs will help us understand what our business model is. We didn't want to say, here's our business model, apply it. We really want to say, what's the need and where could we be useful? And so we, at the end of the year, we came together in San Miguel de Ande in Mexico and was intentional about the full experience of both bringing everyone there and creating a space where they understood that we see them and we see and honor their value and that there's a value in the assets that we bring when we can be in a space that we feel cared for and open and free and not overly expected to give, 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 give to exhaustion and then sleep. And so it was just amazing. And I'm so grateful to be in the company of amazing thought leaders and entrepreneurs like Lauren and others who have been helpful in us thinking about our model moving forward. And so the Weeds Match will launch in 2020. And a lot of that has to do with what we learned from those conversations in those spaces and the relationships that we developed in those spaces and the understanding that the assets that we hold within our community is so great that we don't have to outsource everything, that there's a lot of assets and resources that live within. And you complement that with shifting and creating an ecosystem that's dedicated to the values of Black Women Entrepreneurs Thriving.
0: You've been a successful entrepreneur for nearly 20 years. You are one of the people that I have had the ability to work with who puts their finger exactly on the thing that you're talking about. You might talk for three hours and you're like, this is the one thing. You're like, that is the one thing. We should have just said that up front. (laughs) As you start this new enterprise and this project, what learning, what do you have to do differently yourself as you approach this that you otherwise haven't had to do in part of your work to date?
1: So my consulting practice has been around for, this is since 2001. So this is the 19th year entering. Oh my God. The thing that's different with both the Match and Sorcer but the, with the Weeds Match, what I would do differently and, and what we are doing differently is first is in partnership. I think that we often start things as solopreneurs. And one of the key takeaways that we got from these brilliant women in San Miguel is that if we solve for anything, we have to solve for capacity and that not just identify where the capacity gaps are, not just make suggestions around what you should do, but actually do the work with the entrepreneur to solve for it and solve for it in a way that's sustainable. And that's one of the things that we will be doing differently is moving and advancing and taking the learnings from, it's the market really. I mean, they're great and awesome and I love them, but they're also extensions of the marketplace and letting the marketplace inform how we think about business, but actually advancing and moving forward on that thing faster. And knowing that now that I have 20 years in this as an entrepreneur in one way, it don't have to be perfect. It's perfect. It's a placebo. It's an illusion. Just do the thing and know that part of doing the thing is learning and that the investments actually you should have learning that happens from it. And that if something goes a different way than you expect it, it's not failure. It's part of the learning. It's part of the learning investment, as opposed to any kind of shame that I've learned that and that I'm going to carry that understanding with my partners into these ventures. And that's a huge difference than trying to get it all right, know it all right, figure it all out in advance before we advance, before we start, before we implement. So that's a big difference. Lauren, what would you say?
2: I'm thinking. Because you touched on capacity building in the marketplace. We recently had a, an incident <laughs> where someone in a meeting brought up the pipeline problem. And without going too much into that hilarious debacle, funny, funny debacle. I am curious on your thoughts about what is a non-existent pipeline problem in many ways? Because you talked capacity building, which is a little broader. What you're really talking about is how do we connect black talent with black entrepreneurs? Because, I mean, if you were just in the world listening, you would think that there is no black talent out there. Oh. You know, so I'm just really, I mean, it's a little bit of a tongue in cheek question, but still, it'll be fun to hear your answer.
1: So if you're a listener that's one of the listeners that's like, I want to do more. I just can't find them. Or they don't exist. We do exist. (laughs) Really, we do. It's not a lack of a talent issue. It's not that the pool is scarce. There's an abundance. It's just that you're not looking in the right place. You're disconnected to where the core source of ideas are. And perhaps that's because we've been structured to believe that A plus B equals C. We haven't been liberated enough to know that that A doesn't necessarily, won't get to that C, but let me think of A squared times B squared plus two over here. And oh my God, it's just to my left. And so I think that this idea of capacity building capacity. And I want to hold one of the things that I think is a part of our unique value proposition is that we hold also emotional capacity and wellness capacity and well-being capacity, in addition to team and talent and people, but really holding mind space and heart space into our equation of ensuring that the Black women entrepreneurs who will engage on our platform can succeed. I think about capacity and notions of pipelining and sourcing really in the sense of Perhaps you just need to shift the kaleidoscope to the left or to the right and not be so pigeonholed in one direction. And if what you're yielding from looking in that one direction isn't what you want, then do something different because you'll get different results.
0: Well, Lisa, what are your closing thoughts today on investing in self, personal and professional development? Things we might not have talked about yet that you're like, this is actually really important. People need to really pay attention to this think about this.
1: I think that if I were to give some closing thoughts around investing in self, I would say imagine the individual who you give the highest regard. When you think about them, they excite you and you're like, "Oh my god, they are amazing." And then put yourself in that place and know that you are deserving of any space-time investments that you are deserving of that. I think that One of the smartest things I did as an adult, and I'll close with this piece because I walked away and learned a lot, was in 2014, I made a decision that I wanted to go away to think about what I wanted to do before I entered my 40th season. And I don't come from a trust fund. I did not have a silver spoon. I work hard every day. There's no one else doing that. And so this idea of saying, I want to go away, and I wanted to go away from six months. And I live in New York. And so there's a cost of living in New York and then the cost of going away to a place. And the place that I wanted to go away to was a place that was French speaking, no political unrest, not on the beach because I needed to focus to be intentional. And I wanted to make sure I was in a space where it forced me to manage otherness and the otherness that was not just being other as a black woman, but just a different kind of otherness. And how do I navigate that space while I create a space too? imagine what I wanted this decade to be. And so I ended up in Aix-en-Provence. Because I was 30 minutes away from the beach, not quite in Marseille. I could not be in Paris, although it was one of my favorite cities ever because I would have been distracted. And the intention set to get there, to create space for myself, to pause, to sleep for two months, to really sleep from working hard, to even be able to afford to be there, and then open up and say, Well, what do I want? Just to ask myself, What do I want? What do I really want? What difference? What's my dash? Like, really, what do I want my dash to be? At the end of the day, it connects to, and that's why I started by saying the personal and professional aren't separate because my personal self drives the professional self and the desires around. Learning and thinking and being intentional. My future self wants to be a person who makes a difference in the communities I care about, a meaningful difference that when I'm long gone, someone remembers that this was important for their life. I want to do something that is meaningful for people other than that. And I needed to create space. And so I think that one of the greatest investments that one could make is creating space for yourself to pause and breathe and imagine and listen and then do the other stuff but you're worthy and everything that touches you will benefit from you creating space for yourself
0: Lisa it's always amazing to spend time with you thank you thank you so much for being on the podcast
1: you're welcome thank you for having me thank you Lauren it's always great to be in the room with the two of you I really mean that
0: If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or five stars or phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. If you didn't enjoy this chat, please tell someone about it who you don't like as much. Until next time, thanks for listening.